0: I'm grateful for beautiful music. I'm grateful for poets and prophets. I'm grateful for Audre Lorde, feminist, lesbian, African-American, a poet warrior who addressed the injustices of racism, sexism, and homophobia. I'm grateful for that poem, a litany for survival. I'm grateful for the beautiful words of Reverend Meg Riley, a member of this church, my friend and colleague, who is a poet warrior in her own right. I'm grateful for their words, this sacred scripture, if you will, of their poetry, and how it is with me in difficult moments, how it can be a roadmap for all of us. I'm grateful that a litany of survival invites us to push through fear, to name our truths, to speak, to bring our light into the world, knowing we aren't going to survive and we're not going to live forever. I'm grateful that these poets, these prophets, invite us to live with moral courage. They call us to love fiercely and to speak truth. And Meg Riley reminds us that as we speak, as we move through this world, there is a web of love that holds us. I'm grateful for that reminder. We need these reminders right now. We need these reminders more than ever, I believe, because there is a lot swirling around us. There is anxiety and overwhelm, discomfort, scarcity, uncertainty, fear. That's all in the mix. If our employment is connected with the federal government or connected to federal funding, we're wondering about our jobs and what's next. We're wondering and worrying about women's reproductive rights about the rights of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people. We're wondering about human rights. Much of that is in the shadows of our conversation. It is in my conversation with you, and some of it often is right in the center of those conversations, which is why we need the words of these poets and prophets right now, because their words, their reminders can remind us that we didn't unelect our moral courage or unelect our religious values or unelect our commitment to loving the hell out of this world. We didn't unelect our own kindness or compassion or vision of a beloved community. We didn't unelect any of those things and these poets can speak to us, remind us of that. This moment we're in, this time right now, and the turmoil and the unease, this time of great opportunity and very real danger. I don't think it's new. I don't think it's new in the arc of the human story. It's just that some of us haven't lived through it before. But make no mistake. This moment is surely part of the larger human story, a story about empire, about power, about resistance, about liberation. And how we respond to this moment, how we call upon the prophets and the poets to be with us in this moment, well, that might shape how the rest of the story unfolds. This afternoon, you heard Jen tell you, and uh, we will celebrate in this space at 4 o'clock our Christmas pageant. We've done this for years and years, and it's a beautiful thing every year to watch those who were um, an assortment of animals move up to the next part of the pageant to become angels, maybe, or to become shepherds, all with this eye toward maybe some point in time being Mary or Joseph in the pageant. It's a beautiful thing. We love seeing our children. We love the power of this community coming together. And it's deeper than all of that. This is an ancient archetypal story that we are telling. It's about this birth of this powerless, tiny, helpless little child. And his parents, Mary and Joseph, they have no money. They have no place to stay. They are desperate like so many are in the world. They finally find shelter in a barnyard and Mary delivers the baby there. And almost immediately after the birth, they have to leave town because King Herod wants to kill all the firstborn baby boys as he's heard that one of them will someday lead the Jewish people and is a threat to his power. But here's the part that I want us to hear, church. And that is that throughout this story, both Mary and Joseph, they have these experiences in the waking world, in the dream world. They have these experiences where some presence, some divine presence speaks to them and says, do not be afraid. I am with you. I am here. Or maybe it's more poetic than that though that's what's recorded in the scriptures maybe it's something like those words from Reverend Meg Riley maybe it's don't be afraid each of us imperfect and vulnerable body spirit that we are is held in the sacred web of love don't be afraid again and again in this story and really throughout the whole of the Jewish and Christian scriptures the refrain is often the same don't be afraid I am with you. I am here. I'm not leaving. And step for just a moment outside of the Christian story and whatever relationship you have to the Christian and Jewish scriptures, and just think about this in terms of your own life, in those moments of fear, in those moments of anxiety, in those moments when you're facing surgery or birthing, those moments when you are sick, those moments when you are dying even. Isn't it true that that is what we so often long to hear? I'm right here. I'm with you. It's okay. For theologian Sam Wells, who is the current vicar of St. Martin in the Fields, a church in central London, with might be the most important word in theology, with. There are many ways that we can be in relationship with one another. As Sam Wells explains it, we can work for others, doing things on behalf of other people. We can work with others, bringing different skills and expertise and experiences together around a set of common goals. And those things are certainly needed. We need to work for and need to work with others. He's not. Sam Wells is not saying that we shouldn't do those things. But what if, he asks, we are called first and foremost to simply be with others, to simply be with others not working for others or not working with others but simply called to be with others to be present to another person I have these moments in my own life where I feel the power of that and I'll share a brief story this past April I was with some clergy and other faith leaders and some Catholic workers. Uh, We were uh, right in front of Target Field. It was opening uh, season for the twins and a bunch of us were there trying to raise our voices and increase awareness around the murder of Jamar Clark, calling out for justice for Jamar Clark and really calling attention to the ways that our current model of policing has so often failed in our communities of color. And so as part of that direct action, we temporarily shut down one of the roads downtown, right by the, right the Twins Stadium. There was a line of us in the middle of the road. And I was standing next to the Reverend Kelly Clement, who's a member of this church and a dear friend and colleague. Um, so we were standing there for a couple of minutes. And cars are kind of backing up. And people are walking by us and looking at us and kind of yelling some words of encouragement, some words of not so much encouragement. Uh, and I, we looked at each other, and um, Kelly asked me, she's like, how are you? And I said, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm actually scared. I'm glad we're here, I said. But I'm, I'm really anxious, and I'm uncomfortable. And she nodded at me. And we, we squeezed each other's hands. And in this nonverbal kind of communication, we said, you know what? I got you. I'm right here with you i'm right here in this moment of anxiety i'm right here in this moment of discomfort i'm right here with you in this moment of bearing witness to an unjust system i'm with you it was witness and that's all i needed in that moment i needed to be with her i think she needed to be with me that was all i needed it was a powerful moment i know you have your own stories of witness And those of you who grew up in various Christian traditions no doubt know the 23rd Psalm. How many of you do know the 23rd? Right, a ton of you. So this is about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And that psalm is the epitome of witness. Every time I think about this this image of walking through the valley of the shadow of death and this sense of not succumbing to the fear and the despair because you, you is God, you is love, you is larger presence, you are with me, I think about withness, this larger web that holds us. And that's the season we're in, in many ways, the season of withness. In just a few days during our solstice service, this Wednesday, At 730, I think we'll probably sing again. I haven't talked to the solstice planners, but my guess is we'll sing this song again that is deeply connected to this 23rd Psalm. It's a song we sing every year at solstice. And the lyrics go like this. Let your little light shine, shine, shine. It goes on. There might be someone down in the valley trying to get home. And then it goes on and on. It could be you. could be me it could be your brother or your sister too there could be someone down in the valley trying to get home so let your little light shine 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 and I always imagine when we sing that and when I think about how that's drawing on this 23rd Psalm I always think about someone walking on this dark path in the valley, right, at the bottom of maybe two hills. It's dark, it's treacherous, there's, it, there's fear, there's uncertainty, there's anxiety. And then I like to imagine up on either hillside, there are just dozens of people with torches or with candles who are essentially saying by their presence, by the light, that we're here, we're here with you. You're not alone in this place of darkness. We are with you, Withness. Last Sunday, many of you helped hand deliver poinsettias to those who had lost lost a loved one this past year. And grief is one of those things that can certainly take us into the valley of the shadow of death. And a poinsettia from this community is another way to say, we are with you. You are not alone. As Sam Wells says, with might be the most important word in theology. And he invites us to practice being with others on a more regular basis. In his words, to say to someone, I want to be with you, is to say, when I'm with you, I feel in touch with myself, in touch with what it means to be human, in touch with creation, in touch with God, if that's language that works for you, in touch with love. He goes on to say, when I say, I want to be with you, and you say that to a wealthy person, it may be a way of saying, I really want to just be with you because I value you for who you are, not because of your wealth or what you've achieved in your life. To say that to a poor person, I want to be with you, is to say something equally important, to say it to anyone for that matter. If you can't say to someone, I value you for who you are, and want to be with you and let's be honest that's not always easy right like there are some people where we would have to pull up the best of who we are (laughs) to say to them I value you for who you are and I want to be with you that would require some internal rearranging around prejudices and assumptions etc but imagine we could do that we could say I value you for who you are and want to be with you but if we can't say that then as Sam Wells writes, there really is no reason in the world why that person should trust you. Because if you can't say such a thing to a person, I wanna be with you, I value you and wanna be with you, it's clear they are only using them as a means towards some further end. Sam Wells, he shares the example of a person who has a terminal illness. And it makes me think of the beautiful call to worship that you shared with us this morning, Sophia. He writes, with a terminal illness, there's very little working for to do. Sure, you can fix, all sorts of, fix up all sorts of gadgets and comforts to make the last days or months less burdensome, but there's no way to solve the problem. You can't fix the problem of death. As for working with, there are certainly a lot of things that could be done to kind of demedicalize the person's situation, you know, for getting away from drugs and only having the really critical care that's needed and some of the technology that extends your life by a month or whatever, doing away with that. But what's really required in that moment is simply being with, staying still, listening, being silent, not having the answers, praying together, singing hymns with one another, recalling stories, remembering messages that you want to pass on? What's needed isn't therapy. It's company. What's needed is company. Sam Wells closes one of his lectures with this quote. Working for may be done for love or for many other reasons. Working with may be done for love, though it is possible to have other goals in mind. But being with, he says, as far as I can tell, has only one motivation. It is because the other is precious for their own sake, solely to be enjoyed with no thought of use. Being with can only be done for love. Being with is being loved for your own sake. So what I know, and I think we feel this in our bones as well, is that in the coming weeks and months, there will be many moments where we have to respond. There will be calls to action where we need to work with and work for many in our community. And we will do that. We will work for and we will work with. But I think some of the most important work in front of us is about being with, just enjoying and knowing one another and our neighbors in that most profound of ways. Being with one another will create the relationships and the deep trust that will allow us to move through fear together, remembering that we are held in a web of love, a web of withness, and that's what the poets and the prophets remind us of. And it's one of the messages of this season. We'll sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, as our closing hymn. And many of you know this, but those of you don't, Emmanuel means God is with us. More broadly understood, you could say, love is with us. That's the same theme woven throughout the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, this sense that don't be paralyzed by your fear. Love is here too. I am here too. The Spirit is here too. And instinctively, we know the power of presence, of witness. One of my favorite moments, my absolute favorite moments on Sunday mornings is after the worship service, after we've left, we've said hello to some of you out outside the sanctuary, and then I come back into the sanctuary and almost everyone's gone except for a few little Pockets of people, people who are connecting with one another in the pews. Some of you have turned around in the pews and you're talking to your neighbors. Some of you are in the aisles engaging with one another, listening deeply, leaning toward one another. Sometimes I think you know each other. Other times I'm pretty sure you don't, but you have found a way to be with one another. You are letting your light shine or letting the light from another person help you find your way. It's a beautiful thing to see. And so in these turbulent times when many are hurting and scared, may we take courage. May we be with one another and our neighbors, trusting that in that withness, love or God or the spirit of life is with us too. May we trust that withness and the intimacy that is found there, may we trust that that will ultimately lead us to a more just world. May we be with one another. Amen.